The Tucson Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Altitude Home Loans and Danny Plattner. He's a good friend of our program. He runs the adult league here in town and he works for Altitude Home Loans. I recently purchased a home and used him as my uh, mortgage provider. And the, the best compliment I can give is when I was signing the title paperwork, the title agent said that I had the lowest rate that she had seen. And you know that they know. So if anyone's looking to get a mortgage or refinance, please look up our good friend, Danny Plattner at Altitude Home Loans and dannyplattner.com. Danny Plattner is the vice president and a senior loan officer with Altitude Home Loans, NMLS 223426. And the company is NMLS number 1955555, Arizona number 1007669, and Altitude Home Loans is an equal housing lender. All right, welcome everybody to episode 11 of the Tucson Hockey Podcast. I am very pleased today to be joined by the Director of External Affairs and Female Hockey for the Arizona Coyotes. She is also the president of the Arizona Kachinas Girls Hockey Association. She is an Olympian. She's a former captain of the Harvard Crimson women's team and someone who's really a Mount Rushmore-like figure here in Arizona hockey. I'm joined today by Lindsay Fry. Coach, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. And we'll get right into it with something that's going on now. Um, a significant event and a sad event happened in the world of hockey, especially Arizona hockey. Your organization lost uh, late Nicardo recently with, after a long bout uh, with cancer. And she was um, just an inspiration and continues to be an inspiration for everyone. And you're taking steps along with the coyotes and the Kachinas to really keep her legacy alive in the hockey program. And you yourself are, uh, undertaking a skate for Leighton event. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about Leighton Nicardo and what you're doing now to help promote her legacy and her scholarship fund. Yeah. So, I mean, Leighton was just an incredible kid and um, everybody in the Arizona hockey community, I think, knows that and has seen that over time. Um, she was just a, a scrappy, scrappy player on the ice, just always there to, to have fun and, and work hard. And um, she, she loved it. And so even when she got sick, she continued to have that attitude, um, not only with her, with her cancer treatments, um, and just staying positive with that, but, you know, she, she did everything she could to continue to play her sports. She, you know, she had a leg brace, she had to have a custom skate. She, you know, couldn't necessarily do everything she was used to being able to do, but she still would just do her best. And, um, I think that inspired a lot of people. It certainly, inspired us with, with the coyotes and, um, with the Kachinas. And, uh, we, we were really fortunate to have her out for our hockey fights cancer night, which was incredibly special last season. Um, she became an honorary member of the coyotes for a day and, you know, the players just really embraced her and, and the organization as a whole just really embraced her. And I think when, you know, the professional organization really takes hold of something like this, um, the community rallies behind it that much more. So, um, you know, we are devastated along with everybody that she has now passed. Um, but we want to use our platform and, um, do what we can to be able to ensure, like you said, that her legacy stays alive. So, um, I am going to be skating rollerblading rather, uh, 96 miles, uh, toward the end of January. And it's going to be all in one day. And I'm going to go start at Phoenix children's hospital 
I'm going to stop briefly at every single rink in, in the Phoenix area and end up at Gila River Arena. And our goal with this is um, we want to raise money for a late Nicardo Memorial Scholarship Fund. And that scholarship fund is going to help um, girls like Leighton who want to play hockey. Um, it's going to help it become a little bit more affordable and accessible for them to be able to play. So we can t- continue to grow um, the sport that Leighton loved and continue to grow the association that um, she was a part of. You know, we were really, we were really sad this season. Um, you know, she, she was on our, our, one of our teams in Chandler and, you know, the hope was that she would be healthy enough to be able to come back and play. And unfortunately, when her health took a turn for the worse, she wasn't able to get out on the ice with us this year. But we will always consider her a Kachina. Um, and she, she, we are very fortunate that even though she wasn't able to be there physically with us, um, she was able to be there virtually with us when we opened up the new Mesa rink, which is going to be an absolute game changer. It already has been a game changer for girls hockey in Arizona to give them a home and, and a place to call their own to be able to play. And so, um, you know, I'm very thankful that she was able to be a part of that, um, with the time she had. And, um, obviously we're gonna, we're all going to miss her, her deeply, but we're going to make sure that she's never forgotten. So that's kind of the focus with this event. And a special young lady for sure. And someone just unrelentingly positive and an inspiration for not only, hockey players here in the state, but really anybody um, to just be an example of someone who never let their diagnosis and their illness and their fight ever take away an ounce of their joy. And especially toward for her, for her love of hockey, someone just, you know, just a hockey player through and through and someone who loved the game. Well, let's, let's switch gears. Then you mentioned the Mesa rink. Let's try and talk about, um, that for a little bit. I, I, I was there a couple weeks ago. I had a couple of high school games there and it was my first time there. Talk about w- what it's been like in the process toward getting that built, having it, and then now having that rink as an actual home for the Kachinas and how that's changed things. Yeah. So the owner of the building, Eddie Hill, um, and his wife, Kelly, they reached out to us, um, us being more the coyotes, about a year and a half, two years ago and said, Hey, we're going to, we, we've bought this property. Um, they're they're They come from Boston to Minnesota and, um, primarily have, have built their careers around, uh, doing hockey camps and clinics throughout the country. And so he's done uh, a number of clinics here in Arizona over the past, you know, five or so years. And, um, so we kind of knew who he was and, and we were chatting and he goes, you know, he was trying to figure out like what kind of partnership would the coyotes potentially want to have if we were to get this building up and running and immediately, you know, Matt shot and I looked at each other and we go, it has to be the girls rink. Like it's, it's, it's a no brainer, not only for us on, on the Kachina side of things. Right. I mean, we were kind of bouncing around at Oceanside, Arcadia, really anywhere we could get ice. Um, just trying to figure out a home while competing with, with the co-ed associations. And so for us, it was a no brainer. But what we tried to, to say to them was, you know, you have essentially as a rink operator, I mean, we are giving you an opportunity to sell almost all of your ice on a silver platter. Um, you're not going to have to go through the process. And at the time we were like, trust us, it is, it is <laughs> an event to try to get an association up and running. Um, so I think we were like, you know, you guys focus on the building. We'll focus on filling the ice. And it really just kind of evolved into this this beautiful partnership. And 
um, has worked out really well. Obviously, there were some scares with getting it open um, right in the middle of COVID and how that was going to look. But, um, but you know, fortunately, on the Coyote side, our new ownership group really saw the importance of this and believed in the importance of this. And so they, they, they financially helped out a little bit to make sure this building got up and running, um, during, you know, this very, very unpredictable year. And it really has been a game changer for our kids. Um, you know, things as simple as getting to hang their banners somewhere. We don't have a ton of them yet, but, um, you know, we have had a team won a championship and last year we had nowhere to put it. So now it's hanging up in there, which is amazing. It's something for these kids to look up to and strive for. And, um, it's just been a really wonderful experience. And, you know, now that we have the flexibility to kind of program how we want, um, it's, it's, it's really going to show us what we're capable of, um, particularly in the girls hockey space, but in, in any hockey programming, um, arena, I think, it really gives us a blank slate to try to see how how big could we um, make this thing. So it's been it's been great. And there's some other improvements going in there too. I received an email about an ice treadmill going in, and yeah, so yeah. talk about that side <laughs> of it a little bit with some of the um, training facilities that are now being added to the building. Yeah, so it's it's nice. I mean, I think it's it's definitely a work in progress. When when you walk in there, and I'm sure you felt this, you know, it's it is it is a box with ice in it. And, and right now that's pretty much, um, what it is, but they are continuously working to build it. We take it in a heartbeat down here. Are you kidding? Oh yeah, of course. Right. I mean, it's, that's all we needed. So we're, you know, and I don't say that in a bad way, like there's, there's ice in the ground and, and that's all you need, but they are working to continuously improve it. They do have a skating treadmill coming. Um, you know, and they're, they're, they're running some of their own programs as well. Hill hockey is running some of their own programs and, Um, so I'm just, you know, with the, with the treadmill and some of the improvements, I think, um, you know, I, as kind of the president of the association, as well as our kids and our families are, I think, excited to see what additional opportunities come to them now that they are the primary tenant in this building, you know, anything, anything good that happens to the building, anything good that happens to the programming in the building, um, in my opinion, is a win for the, the girls who are playing there. So, they're excited about it. Um, I'll be, I'll be eager to see our kids out on that treadmill. And, um, I don't actually think we have a skating treadmill in Arizona anymore. So, uh, it'll be, it'll be nice to have one back. I have one experience with a skating treadmill. My brother played at Newman university outside of Philly and they skated at this place called the Aston Iceworks, which is a pretty big building. It was a two or three sheeters. I recall back then. And they had a training facility with an ice treadmill and I got to go try it once when my brother was still out there and I was playing goalie at the time and I had goalie skates and I tried it on and I asked my brother, I said, what's this going to be like? And he goes, it is not going to go the way you think. And I was like, well, <laughs> I, I know I'm not going to be good at it. He's like, no, no, no it's going to go very poorly. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I remember doing, having to do like 45 seconds at like a slight incline to get started. Like I got my footing and kind of pushed around a little bit and he's like, okay, we're going to do a slight incline and you're going to do a 45 seconds. And I'm like, all right. I, I think I can handle this. It did not go well. I was so, I was exhausted. I was I'm almost ready to throw up after 45 seconds. It was so hard on that treadmill. So just, just a funny story. I let, you know, so my kids I, get to listen to this. Told, I've never been on me. one. It was, it was, a, it was, it was definitely an experience. I still remember now. And it was, it was very difficult. I mean, you dig in and you're pushing and then you've never had that kind of resistance when you skate especially right, right. to have the thing keep rolling under your feet and then a slight incline 
So it's it's definitely something that's going to make your players better. I, I'll say that. And that's it's, awesome. it's a, it's a tested and true method. So well, no, I but I, Eddie, I go, if, you know, if I, if I, if I catch myself in a, in a pinch training for skating for Layton and I can't get out and rollerblade, I might just need to jump on the treadmill for a couple hours. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> no, I, it, it's definitely something that's going to be beneficial because it's very hard. It's hard to do. And the more you do it, the better skaters you're going to get. I mean, I'm, you know, you and I coach hockey. I, one of the things we try and do, even at the youngest levels, is some type of resistance skating, whether it's pulling each other, pushing a net, something like that. The more yep. strides you get per hour under tension or with resistance makes everybody a better hockey player. So, yep. no, but I'm, I'm very, I was very thrilled to see the barn in Mesa. And um, you talked about the impact it's had on your program already to have an actual home. And, but part of the things too, is when you're talking to somebody like Eddie, and I remember, I'm pretty sure I've had a conversation with Eddie in the past when he was looking at places to build out here, um, is that the kind of you build it, will fill it mentality. And so from a business standpoint, part of it was you guys had to have the type of program and the numbers to justify being a main tenant at a rink. And now you have that. So talk about your growth in numbers with the Kachinas over the last couple of years and where you're at now, even with the tough times we're dealing with? Yeah. So, you know, it was really interesting. I, last year was our first, you know, true uh, season as an association. And there were a lot of people who kind of, you know, aren't necessarily as close to, to it. And, and, you know, they'd say, you know, what an incredible overnight success. <laughs> and this is, was in no way an overnight success. I mean, we've, this is something that we've been working on for six or seven years now. Um, and we've really tried to be patient. We've tried to be strategic. We've tried to make sure that we make the right moves at the right times. Um, and I think we recognized that if we were going to build something um, truly sustainable, we had to build it from the ground up. We couldn't, um, no longer could the girls association in town uh, be just kind of a catch program where, okay, well, we hope these girls get involved and start playing when they're little and they'll play with the boys. And then when they get too old, they'll come over to us. We really wanted to flip that model on its head. So, um, you know, the initial start in 2017, I believe was, was small fries. And that was our, our very first girls program. And then we said, okay, we're having a little success here. Now, where are we going to put them? And that's when we started to get the idea for Kachinas. Um, and, and we really felt, you know, we looked at the data. We knew how many girls were playing in Arizona. We knew that there were enough out there to do something special. Um, we just needed to build the infrastructure to support it. And so, um, you know, again, talk about timing. We waited until we were able to get some grant funding from the NHL to really kickstart this. And um, last year we had nine teams, which, you know, prior to that, the most that there were were in the state at any given time were about four teams. So we ended up having nine teams. And then this season, uh, we have 12, we've got a tier two travel program. Um, we've got a, a house program. Uh, we call it a development program that plays in the ice den house leagues that we're looking to expand. Um, and you know, the goal is eventually to have a, a, a couple tier one teams and, and truly be a, all-inclusive um, premier girls hockey association, not just in Arizona, but um, throughout the country. And and we've seen it done out West. We've seen it done with the Lady Ducks. Um, we've seen it done with some of the teams in Colorado. And and we feel like we can do, we can do the exact same thing. So 
um, we're gonna we're gonna continue to to build and build, and um, we've come a long way. But I think we're we're always looking to do more until uh, we feel like we've done everything we can to make this a success for any and all girls in Arizona who want to play hockey. And that's definitely true. And uh, I. <laughs> I, I think I might have had some audio difficulties here. I, I saw something that said lost connection to the server, but I'm still talking to you. So yeah, I saw, I saw that too. But we'll we'll keep we'll keep plugging away and hope for the I, best. I, I I hope it's still recording. I haven't seen your sound bars yet um, come through. Uh, oh, hope, you haven't. Hopefully, hopefully we I haven't. I see them on things. mine. Okay, that's good. That's good. If you see them on yours, hopefully, then after I do the post production here, we'll be okay. All right, so. Hopefully everybody gets to hear this and we won't have to start over again. No, but I, so no. And and you talked about uh, having the tier teams. Uh, You had to go to, I think it was Colorado. I remember talking to you about, you had to go play in Colorado for a couple of years before you moved on uh, to Harvard. So, but before we get there, we'll go back in time a little bit as someone who grew up in the Phoenix area, talk about your start playing in the Phoenix area and your growth and what you saw in the growth of Arizona hockey throughout your time as a young skater, you, you got to see some rinks pop up and then talk about your path playing with mainly boys and then transitioning into girls hockey when you went to Colorado. Yeah. So I actually started out as a Ducks fan. Um, I was a big Disney kid and and fell in love with the Mighty Ducks movies when I was four ish. Um, my parents, you know, nobody in my family had ever played hockey. I think, you know, maybe my parents skated once when they were teenagers. Um, so it was, it was still, it was very new and, and, and different for my family, but it's what I wanted to do. So my parents got me these, you know, little rollerblades that would strap onto my shoes. And that's kind of how I started skating. And then, uh, I actually started as a roller hockey player at, uh, it used to be called the spectrum. It was an inline hockey rink. And, um, now it's called Skateland, and it's still there in Chandler. And, and that's where I got my start. Um, and I was, I was definitely a product, I think of, of the timing of the, the coyotes coming to town. You know, they came in, uh, from Winnipeg in 1996. And when that happened, uh, there was an influx of, um, ice rinks being built and I was very fortunate. One of them was in Chandler. I lived, you know, six, seven minutes away from the rink. And, uh, I remember going to a public skate and trying it out and I just, I loved it. And, got put into a house team there and just never really looked back. And that was, you know, that's who I was and that's what I wanted to do. And so, um, I really, really, uh, fell in love with the sport and didn't notice that I was the only girl out there. I mean, I just, I didn't care. Um, but it was very, very, uh, small. The girls hockey community in Arizona was very small. When I was born, there were less than 20 girls under the age of 18 who were playing hockey in the entire state. So, that's a pretty crazy number when you think about it. Um, and so, yeah, I played with the boys until I was a freshman in high school. Um, I played four years of full check hockey cause we could hit as, as peewees back then. Um, and I loved it. I was, you know, a foot taller than most of the boys until I was about 14. So I was, I was a thumper. I loved the physicality of the game, but Um, you know, as I got older, I realized, you know, my goals are going to be different than my boy teammates. My goals are going to be to play in the Olympics because that's the highest level of my sport. Um, and theirs is, you know, they're going to try to go play in the NHL. And so I kind of understanding the process and knowing that, you know, the next step was going to be playing women's collegiate hockey. 
Um, I think my parents probably more than me realized I wasn't going to get recruited by a women's hockey program um, playing on a boys team in Chandler, Arizona. So I needed to find an elite girls hockey program um, during high school. But I wasn't really ready to leave home. I wasn't ready to go off to prep school. Um, I, I still kind of wanted to be home. So um, one of my friends, Erin Wente, uh, now Erin Kane, is her name. And, and she and I t- would travel back and forth to Colorado. We played for the Colorado Select. Um, and we would go once a month for a four-practice weekend. And then we'd go another weekend in the month to wherever we were traveling for games. And then when we were home, um, she would practice with the Brophy JV high school team. I would practice with my brother's uh, AAA team. And we just kind of made it work. And it was a lot of travel, but it was totally worth it. She got recruited to go play at University of Vermont. Um, I got, you know, I was super fortunate to go get recruited to play at Harvard University. Um, and that's really kind of how my, my childhood progressed. And, and by the time I was in high school, there were definitely more girls playing. Um, it just wasn't quite at the elite level that I needed to be able to be pushed and um, exposed to colleges in the same way that, um, or in the way that I needed to, to be able to get where I was trying to go. Um, but it was, it was an amazing experience. I'm, I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful to my parents for um, helping to make it all happen. It's, it's a lot of travel. It's a lot of sacrifice. So um, I, was, I was very fortunate to be able to have that, that system that I had. And talk about your recruitment process a little bit. You're someone who's having to go to Colorado, probably playing in a lot of tournaments in a lot of places. When did schools first become interested in you? And then talk about what you remember about the first time Harvard came on the radar. Yeah, so they, um, they, they couldn't really talk directly to you. I think the, the first time I really kind of understood, you know, what that recruiting was going on. Um, was actually at district and national camp. So when you first start going to those for USA Hockey, um, you know, even at the district level, they would have college, you know, usually division three coaches come out to the Rocky Mountain district camp. And, um, you know, you'd start to see the college jackets. Uh, you'd start to see, you know, as an Arizona kid, you don't know anything about these East Coast schools. So it was, it was all a learning process, not only for me, but also for my family. And so, you know, we'd listen to the college hockey talks and this is what you need to get recruited and, you know, blah, 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 like tons and tons of stuff. And then when I made it to national camp, that's when you start seeing all these division one schools um, and and those coaches walking around with their jackets on and getting to know a little bit more about what is what is the highest level of of women's collegiate hockey actually like. And so, um, you know, I got to know some different coaches through that. Uh, And then when I got to an age where they could start talking to me, that's when if we were at a tournament or at a league weekend um, for my Colorado team, you know, they could they could come up and they could chat with me after I could go on some unofficial visits. Um, And and to be honest, when I was in high school, um, I, I don't even know if I really processed the Ivy League thing enough. I think my parents really helped me understand um, why that was so important. I had a lot of friends who were committing to University of Minnesota, University of North Dakota, Wisconsin, Boston College, Boston University. So it was, you know, it was kind of different to be, to want to go to an Ivy League school. Um, a lot of people didn't want to. A lot of people didn't want the rig- the rigorous academics on top of 
uh, on top of their hockey. They just wanted to focus on their hockey, which I think is awesome. Um, but I think I really, you know, the more I talked to my parents about it, the more I realized, you know what? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, women's professional hockey doesn't exist yet. So I need to make sure I'm putting myself in the best position possible to be able to achieve anything that I want after hockey. So I'm very thankful for that. I ended up choosing between, uh, Harvard and Cornell. Um, I actually really wanted to go to Cornell and, um, but the more I talked to, you know, my, my Harvard coach and my parents, they, think I realized I was, I was much more of a um, city person. Uh, Ithaca, New York is, is I don't think would have really fit who I am as a person. Um, so I was, I was very thankful that I ended up choosing Harvard and honestly had the absolute best experience. Um, it, it was hard as at times, both on the ice and off the ice. It challenged me, it pushed me, but it really molded me into the person and the professional that I am today. So I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that experience. And um, it was kind of cute. My grandparents for a long time didn't really understand. They both were uh, professors or they were teachers. My grandpa was a professor at ASU, just like very educated people. And um, they always like kind of struggled, I think, with my parents pulling me out of school to take me to these hockey tournaments. And it wasn't until they came with us one year to national camp and they started seeing the Ivy League logos on the jackets. And that's really when when they started to understand, oh, there's there's more to this sport than just, you know, putting a puck in the net. So that was that was kind of a, a, a cute thing to see their mindset shift. And then you go on to play four years at Harvard with a very storied career. You were the captain of the team your senior That's year. That's actually not true. I will I will own that. That piece is not true. Which which but part? there is a story behind that that I was the captain. Oh, I, I saw it. I saw it listed when I looked at you up on I think it's Elite Prospects. I thought I saw the C by the name, but well, you're a senior False. leader on a team at the very <laughs> least. I'm sure. Yeah we we had a very uh, especially my senior year we had a very strong core of leaders. Um, it was, it was pretty cool. It was right after the Olympic year. So we had a lot of people coming back from the Olympics. Um, and it was one of those where like every single senior was an impact player. You know, you have some years where you've got like two of your seniors are impact players. A couple of them ride the bench or maybe are middle of the pack. Like we were all heavy, heavy impact players. And so, um, yeah, it, we were, we were a leadership core, but I don't want to take any credit away from my teammates. So I will I will own what is true. Spoken like a true captain. <laughs> well, thank you. So just to put a bow on your Harvard experience a little bit. Um, and again, I've been to Ithaca, New York and to Boston. Ithaca, a beautiful place, very idyllic. I, I wouldn't call it a burgeoning metropolis like Boston is. But <laughs> so talk about your kind of day to day as a student athlete at Harvard. Yeah. So a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, was Harvard so hard? And I always tell people, I'm like, well, I wouldn't really know because I don't know anything different. You know, like once once you're in there, um, I think just as an athlete, you learn to adjust and adapt and you figure it out. Like, yeah, if you're going to, you know, try to be a mechanical engineer, which I tried to do, um, you know, yeah, it's going to be really, really hard. If you're going to be, you know, an, an art history major or something that's uh, a little less um, rigorous, just with like lab work and things like that, then yeah, it's probably going to be a little bit lighter. So um, and I don't mean that as a negative thing toward art history at all. It's just, you know, the time commitment's a little different. And so I think, 
you know, you make it as hard as you want. Um, I, I actually did start as a mechanical engineering major. It kicked my butt, um, ended up switching to history of science later, which I love. So, um, but it was, it was, it was a lot. Um, we, and I think this is student athletes in general, not just Harvard, but you know, we would have class, um, anywhere from like 9am to 2pm. We'd go over to the rink. Um, we do, you know, our off ice workout. Um, we'd get on the ice for two hours, you'd shower, you'd go eat, and then you'd do your homework and you'd wake up and do it all over again. And, um, I think that's just the life of a student athlete, regardless of where you're at, you know, it's, it's, you just have to really, really balance your time. Um, I think the work hard, play hard mantra is very true. Um, you know, you, you don't get a lot of days off. Um, so, you know, you definitely make sure to have your fun when you do have those days off and, um, you know, and it was, it was, it was an incredible experience. I think, I think being able to, um, you know, when you had a really bad day at school or you got a bad grade on a test and you had a game that night, you had to learn how to shut that off. You had to learn how to really compartmentalize things. Um, you had to learn how to balance your time really well. So I think I learned a lot of skills as a student athlete that translated really nicely, um, to my professional career and just, you know, being in the workplace and having to implement a lot of those skills on a day-to-day basis. So, um, but I had a, I had a a wonderful time. Um, I was very fortunate to be around people who the mentality was never, you know, oh, well, you're the best player, so you can do this. And you're the worst player, so you can do this. It was, everybody was treated as an equal. When you were there, you were expected to put your hard hat on and go to work day, like day in, day out. And, um, I think that really, really taught me a lot of character. And um, like I said, really molded me into who I am today. And I think for someone like you who played at the highest levels and as a lesson to some of the other players who might be listening here, it's when it's game day, there's no issue with finding emotion, with getting yourself ready. At least I found this too. Even I was a low level high school player, but it was looking back on it now, like, yeah, I would just show up at the rink and go to practice, but I, I didn't think I ever got into the right mindset of, no, I need, I need to find that emotion to put in as much effort as I can in practice to make sure I'm continuing to get better. Yeah. And our, I think our coach really brought that. Um, we would do a lot of compete stuff in practice. Um, and I think that really was there to help us with that mindset. Um, that, you know, it's, it doesn't matter if you're at a practice, a conditioning practice, a fun practice, a pregame skate or a game, you got to bring the same level of heart, the same level of intensity and the same level of focus, um, day in and day out that you're here on the ice. And, you know, I think she, she always did a really good job of reminding us that, you know, it's, it's a couple hours of your day, like lock in for a couple hours of your day and then go, then go think about other things. She was really good about, um, you know, like if we lost, she was like, you have until midnight to think about this and then it's over and you move on. And I think that's a really important mental skill. Um, like I said earlier, just to be able to compartmentalize things and, um, make sure that you're thinking about what's the most important at the right times. Um, that's, that's, that's what I think gets you through, um, the, the good and the bad that every athlete faces, right? We, we all face adversity, adversity. We all win our championships and, um, you got to be able to kind of keep your, your mindset somewhat level, um, and not get too high and not get too low. So, um, you know, I think I, I learned all of that in, in college athletics. And I think that really helped translate, um, you know, an even different or, or 
more intense mindset that I needed uh, at the Olympic level. And let's talk about your Olympic experience first. So go back. When was the first time that you were approached to possibly represent your country as part of the national team? Yeah, so I played on two under-18 national teams. um, And that all kind of came through the national camps I was talking about earlier. That was sort of like the the tryout for those. So I had been in the national programs system for a number of years. Um, but after you're out of that, you know, it's really, it's really based on your college performance if you get invited back to tryout camps. So, um, I really struggled my freshman and my sophomore year. Uh, I wasn't super focused. I, I wasn't, um, you know, super committed, I guess I would say, you know, I was, I was just, I was just, I was a decent player. You know, I had a lot of talent, but I wasn't really putting in the extra work. And so, um, after my sophomore year, my coach pulled me aside and, and just really like laid it out. She's like, Lindsay, do you even want this? And I was thinking about it. I was like, coach, do you even think I have a chance of making the Olympic team? And she was like, she was super honest. She's like, well, first three lines, probably not, but that fourth line's open for the taking. And that for me was really that aha moment of, you know, wow, I have the future Olympic coach telling me I have a chance to make this team. Like, I, I'm going to do everything, everything in my control and in my power to make sure that I'm able to, to make it. Um, cause I could, I could live with myself if I did that and didn't make the team. I couldn't live with myself if I didn't give it my all and didn't make the team. I would always, always question that forever. So, um, I ended up getting invited to a senior national team camp, uh, in August of 2012. Um, I got invited to play on the national team for the four nations cup in 2012, um, in November, we ended up winning. And then I got invited to play on the world championship team in 2013. The crazy thing about the national team is you have to, your spots never save. You have to constantly, constantly be earning it. So you really have to be consistent and you you can't let off uh, the gas pedal. So, you know, we had just won a world championship gold medal, um, on the world stage in April of 2013. And we all had to come back for tryouts for the Olympic team in June. And so, you know, I, we tried out, there were 40 women there and they centralized 25 of us, which meant they moved us all to one, one location. And that's where we were going to practice and train together for the next six months leading into Sochi. Um, the crazy part about that though, is we had to get our roster down to 21. So four people were going to get cut. So imagine every day you have to show up to practice and wonder if it's your last day there. You have to wonder if the person that, you know, you're trying to make plays with is going to beat you out for a spot. So you have to, you have to be able to put that aside mentally and just bring your A game every single day, but it's, it's definitely taxing. So, um, yeah, it was, it was super challenging. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was hard. It was, you know, it was, it was exactly, I think what a lot of people would expect for, um, something at that high of a level, you know, there were, there were ups, there were downs, there were everything in between. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to fight hard enough to earn my spot and be able to go to Sochi, Russia in uh, February of 2014. So that was an incredible experience. I can't believe it's been six years, um, over six years now since we were there. But, um, but yeah, it, it was, it was a really defining moment in my life. And I was just very thankful that I was able to, um, I guess just show myself that, you know, if you really work hard for something and you, you do control the controllables and you just stay focused and, and stay patient, then, then good things can happen. And 2014 
memorable, but probably even still a little bit painful. I, I that that gold medal game I think took years off the end of my life. <laughs> the ups and the downs, and I I still remember it vividly. I'll, I'll tell the story here a little bit. I was working that day. It was a Thursday. I I had I couldn't get away from the office for some reason. We were I was having a meeting about putting a case together, and I had it on in the conference room, and people were like. Are, are we really going to do this? And I just deadpan and said, yes. And <laughs> they kind of knew like, oh, okay, he's serious. And we were doing work and I was kind of checking in and I would mute it during the intermissions. But uh, your team jumped out to a 2 nothing lead. I remember it very well. And it seemed like as the third period started to go along, we, there was less work going on. And now everybody was watching it. And this included a lot of people who weren't hockey fans. There's maybe eight of us in the meeting, maybe 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 six. But we, we watched that third period intently. I know I did. I couldn't sit down. I was pacing. Everyone's looking around. <laughs> like, what, what, what's wrong with you? And then, um, uh, you know, then, then Canada, get, I, I, if you want me to stop at any point, just, just stop. Me. <laughs> but I remember no, Canada's okay. first goal was off a bad bounce. And then you're like, oh boy. And it was probably three, four minutes left. And then I remember the, the then the linesman bumped into the Canadian defenseman and the puck got cleared and then in one of those moments that'll be played forever just dead hits the post instead of going into the empty net and yep. me being a buffalo and cleveland fan growing up you just get that sinking suspicion and you get that gut feeling that oh no and then canada <laughs> ties it up with a minute left um overtime was really good Shan- shannon sabatos i i i'm probably pronouncing that yep. wrong yep. She was incredible in that game. The goaltending was at a really high level, but I, I really thought that you guys were the better team for the entire game minus about four minutes. But it just, yeah. you know, they, they did enough to get to overtime and then they got uh, the winner off a of bounce off the side of the net. I, I'm pretty sure it was Marie-Philippe Poulin, if I'm, yeah. if I'm remembering that correctly. And and just, again, just I, I heartbreaking. I had to, I turned it off. I like immediately turned it off and looked back. I'm like, okay, let's get back to work. And everyone in the meeting was kind of tense because I'm not like that. Like I'm not, yeah. especially at work. I'm, I'm very always light. I'm always joking. I immediately turned the television off like, okay, let's focus on this. So yeah. uh, if, if you can talk about you played in the gold medal game in 2014. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it was, it was an incredible experience. I think I come from a little bit of a different angle. Um, only, you know, being from Arizona, I was the first ever hockey player, male or female to even compete in the Olympics, um, from Arizona and let alone to win a medal. So, um, you know, I think for me, I, I just, that was kind of always my attitude. Like, obviously I wanted to win. Um, but I was also like, you know, I don't want to say I was okay with not winning. It was just like, you know what, like, I'm just, let's just freaking, let's like skate hard and, and do the best we can. And, um, you know, I only got two shifts in that game. I was very, very much aware of my role. Um, one of them was actually to go serve a too many men penalty. Um, but you know what, I I think that's really, we came together as a team in that game. I think, um, you know, we, we felt like we had it right. We, we, we couple minutes left in the game, it slips away from us. Um, and I think I was just, you know, I was especially heartbroken for, um, some of the women who had played multiple Olympics and still, still came up short. Um, I was, I was mostly devastated for them, but, um, yeah, I mean, it sucks. It, it, it's something that's always going to sting, but I think, you know, like I said, coming from the unique place of being, 
um, the first from Arizona to be able to do it. Um, I, I'm just really thankful that, you know, we were able to, to get that far. And, um, it's really, I think, given me a platform to do a lot of really good work in Arizona. So, you know, gold or silver, I'm, I'm very, um, honored to have been a part of that experience. And, uh, I'm really thankful that it really has opened so many doors and allowed us to do so many good things for girls hockey and hockey in general here in Arizona. Definitely. And I said it at the outset, if there's a Mount Rushmore of Arizona hockey, you're certainly on it for that (laughs) and many other reasons. But no, I and I appreciate that story. And I'm sure there was some sense of relief. I I would imagine that there's still some communication between you and some of the members of that team. And then some of them were on the 2018 team that got over the hump and won the gold medal. And um, what do you remember about that and maybe some of the discussions you had with players who are no longer on the team? Yeah, I mean it was awesome. It was so fun to watch um to watch that game. We were uh you know, I was I was with a bunch of the other women who are coaches in the Kachinas program and you know, we're all huddled around the TV. I have my jersey on. Like it was just it was fun to to be a fan but also feel connected to it. Um you know, I was talking to one of my former teammates uh who played in 2014 with me and she was kind of getting feeling a little bothered that people were reaching out to her being like you know, oh my gosh, like, you know, like, even though you weren't out there, you played a role in this. And she was kind of like, well, no, I didn't like, you know, they did it. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm here on my couch watching. Um, I don't fully feel that way. I mean, I think everybody's a part of the puzzle and everybody's part of the legacy. And, and I felt that way in 2014 about the 98 gold medal winning team. So, um, but I, I was just, I was so proud of them. I was especially, um, just, just so thrilled for the women who had dedicated, you know, in some cases, 12 years of their life to play in their third Olympics, to be able to make that team and um, compete. And then to finally come away with gold uh, is just such an amazing thing. So um, I, I'm so proud of them. I'm it's, it's incredible to see how it's elevated women's hockey and a lot of those players individually. Um, I'm, I'm still very close with uh, Kendall Coyne and we talk a fair amount. She's been amazing during all of this stuff with Leighton and Um, I think it's just, it's cool to see, you know, winning, winning gold. There are so many different aspects to it. Um, you know, there's the personal glory, there's the team glory, but I think, I think one of the most important things right now in the world that we're living in is, is how much it can do to really elevate women and elevate women in sports. And and we saw that after the 2018 games and, um, I'm just, I'm really thankful to, to know those people and, um, you know, continue to do a lot of good work with them. So it's, it's, it's been awesome to be a part of this, um, this story that started, you know, in 1991 or 1990, when the first women's national team, uh, ever started. And especially over the last couple of years, the women's national team has had to do so much. They don't, they didn't have the luxury to just go and play. They had to change the system. They had to change the culture. They're trying to get the professional league going. And you talked about uh, Kendall Coyne. She was just hired as a skill development coach for uh, the Blackhawks, right? Yep. Yep. I saw that for the Blackhawks in the NHL. So there's been so much even the, over the last couple of years beyond just being able to just train, put on the sweater and play. And it's a real a testament to uh, that group and just how everyone buys in and how everyone understood that there was something bigger at stake going on for the future of women's hockey. Yeah. And we, you know, and it's interesting now being kind of on the other side of it and, you know, I'm not playing anymore, but 
now I just, I, you know, I just want everybody to succeed. Um, because seeing, you know, the little girls in our Kachinas program who are five, six, seven years old, um, I want there to be different opportunities for them than there were for me. And I think, you know, this, so this, this, this fight for, um, equity, this fight for growth and development, um, it's, it really, it really is a team effort. And I, 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 I mean, not only throughout Arizona, but throughout the country, throughout, uh, you know, North America as a whole, working with the Canadians and, and working with the entire world to just continue to grow this sport. Um, and it's been, I, I just feel so fortunate that as this, this little kid from the desert, I get to be in the room for some of these conversations. So it's, I, I love what I do. And, um, I love that I, I still am involved in hockey and, a little bit of a different way, but, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Definitely. And, and I, I'll tell a little aside here. Um, you have several of, uh, our Tucson players in the Kachinas. Um, I, when I first started coaching here, just, uh, um, brought in by actually someone, uh, that I was playing with who she was in grad school here and I was playing pickup in adult league with her and they had started the youth program back up. And I used to coach when I was in Ohio before I moved out here. And she asked me to come help and I started helping out and it just kind of snowballed from there to where, you know, we're at now and where the program is now with my involvement in it. And I, I remember I used to say like, I don't want to coach on Sundays. I want to watch uh, the Buffalo Bills, um, which helped me coach more hockey on the weekends because that was a really bad period and they haven't been good for a long time. <laughs> yeah. But even so it was, that's how I started, but it just kind of steamrolled from there. And then I, one of my first players was Willow Troy who's one of your players yeah. and has been for a yeah. long time. And I, I remember she was probably seven, eight, maybe nine years old. And, um, one of, after I hadn't been coaching for very long, but she was in my group as I had the younger kids. And I remember she came up to me and she said, I, I want to play in the Olympics. And it was, that was kind of a galvanizing moment for me. It's like, I, I need to take this more seriously. These, I, you know, this isn't just something I got to do in passing. And, and, and after that point, you know, you, you know, from coaching kids, like you become invested in them. And it was like, okay, I need to, I need to do more here. And, um, you know, for me, I, I take the more, I guess, simplistic view of, I think every kid should play hockey. I think it's a great life lesson, um, in, in the sport of hockey that you get to learn. And, and, and we've, and specifically just, you know, in tracking the numbers and doing, uh, working with Matt a lot, um, mm-hmm. uh, with getting the, um, little Howlers program going and to see our numbers rise and to have you uh, and your staff graciously come down and do a couple of small fries clinics here. We've had a steady influx and growth in our girls numbers. And um, we have players that still skate for you and uh, do the small fries program and the Kachinas program. We started a second high school team this year in the JV division out of the 12 skaters, five are girls. And so I, I, it's something that I've, I've enjoyed seeing. I, I got to coach a girls team back in Ohio in my first year of law school as a 20 year old kid. Uh, and I, I, boy, did I really enjoy it. So I, I've just, I guess, I, I, I guess I don't have the proper perspective to take inventory at it. I love coaching kids. I love coaching hockey. I love all the kids I have. And especially I'm, 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 it makes me very happy to see all the hockey playing girls in Arizona, specifically in Tucson. And I, I guess I still just thank you and your staff for coming down and for, providing examples for these girls to follow. I always say is I, I try and be as good example as I can be. If you want to do something good for a kid, give them someone they don't want to disappoint. And uh, the girls in the state have you to look up as a role model. I know that's not really a question, but again, thank you again. But talk about a little bit, um, some of your experiences with getting started 
So let me slow down for a second. So you play in the Olympics, you finish up at Harvard, one of the most prestigious university, if not the most prestigious university on earth. And then what is your thought process toward, all right, I now need to start this next phase of my life, but I want hockey to be a part of it. Talk about your decision-making process about getting into the world of hockey as a career. Uh, well, full disclosure, I actually uh, didn't want hockey to be my career. And uh, I was I was pretty adamant about that when I was getting ready to graduate. Um, I think a lot of it was coming from, you know, the pressures of seeing the jobs that some of my other uh, peers were getting. And, you know, a lot of them went to New York to work on Wall Street. They were working at these, you know, big firms in Boston. And uh, a lot of them were going to law school, med school. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I had no idea. And so um, I came home, didn't know what I wanted to do. But I felt like I felt like becoming a hockey coach um, and exclusively going into hockey was like a waste of my education. And, and I was so wrong. But that's how I was viewing it. But I was like, well, I've got nothing else to do. So I'll run a hockey camp in Arizona. I'll run a camp in Colorado and I'll call it good. And so um, really didn't know that what that required. My dad helped me set up an LLC. We uh, I don't even think I was an LLC then. But, you know, we, we figured out, OK, how can we uh, how can we get, you know, all the payment processing stuff set up? How can we you know get the marketing out? How can we like I did, I had never taken a business class in my life. But all of a sudden, I was essentially building a small business and I fell in love with it. I fell in love at the back end of building these camps, which ended up turning into my business, Lindsay Fry Hockey. Um, and I started to think, well, you know, there, there's got to be other places in the country like Arizona where there may not be a lot of girls playing, but they're there and nobody like me is coming to give them the time of day. So I literally just started Googling. Georgia girls hockey, Alabama girls hockey, New Mexico girls hockey, Oregon girls hockey, like the, the most random places I could think of. And I started finding contact info and I reached out and within my first year I had run like 12 camps. So it, it, it all kind of came together pretty quickly. And what I realized is, wow, I really love this business stuff. I, I thought it was so fun to be able to build all of that. So that led me to, uh, going to business school and, during that time, I was doing, you know, an occasional clinic here, um, an occasional appearance there for the Coyotes. And uh, in 2017 is when Matt Schott reached out and said, hey, we've got this funding coming in from the NHL, and I want you to be the one to help build these programs and be the face of them. And that was kind of how Small Fry started. Um, and so I think as I just, you know, continued to work through my MBA, um, I, I started to get a little more connected with the Coyotes beyond the programming standpoint, more with some of the, the leadership in the front office. And um, I think just kind of started selling the idea that, look, you know, you need an ambassador. Great. I can do that. You need someone to do girls hockey programming. Great. I can do that. You need somebody who is, you know, now becoming more and more educated in, I guess, you know, your, your, your business practices or whatever. I can do that. And um, so I have been very fortunate. Um, I've never, I've, I've, I've basically written every job I've ever had with the coyotes. I've written the job description for it. Um, so I've just been very lucky that, you know, they, they see my value and, um, you know, I've, I've been able to have the platform and the resources and the support. And like, I call Matt my work husband all the time. Cause that's what he is. We are on the phone with each other constantly. Um, and it's just been a real joy to be able to, um, 
find, you know, something I'm passionate about, something I'm good at, and something that I can make a living doing. So I've been I've been very lucky. And um, I'm, I'm very thankful that I get to make this kind of impact on um, young girls in Arizona and, and throughout the country. Uh, well, and Matt's my guy. I, you know, I, I hope to have Matt on one day and, and the rest of your staff too. I've, I've gotten to know Matt very well over the years. Um, I give him a lot of credit. He has to deal with me. Uh, it's not <laughs> me. And again, I, you know, I, I have a regular day job. So when I come into hockey, I'm, I'm very blunt. Um, I kind of am anyway, but it, and he's, uh, he's always been very gracious to me, which is, which is very difficult to do. Uh, we got Natalie Rossi, I've coached, uh, games with her for a long time. You know, we've had a, a lot of the crossover, so I just wanted to give a shout out to Matt there, but no, I, I, everything you said is definitely true. And I, the, the growth in Arizona hockey and girls hockey has been tremendous and it's something to see. Um, did you make up the title director of external affairs? Cause that definitely sounds like a CIA cover job. <laughs> well, so that was that was more of a um, you know, we as we as the coyotes um we're really trying to figure out, you know, how how can we kind of like tie it all together, right? We do so many wonderful things internally. We've got a really good group of people here. Um, but how do we tell people who know absolutely nothing about hockey? Like how do we tell them that? So really my job, you know, I'm not in sales, I'm not in corporate partnerships, but my job is to just get out in the community. And I, I think I can really sell just about anybody on the concept of ice hockey and, you know, whether you actually play it or not, or if you just become a fan or if you become a partner, you know, like really showing them what this sport can do. And I tell people all the time, I go, you know, I, that's, that's wonderful that you think it's impressive that I played in the Olympics. I went to Harvard. I have my MBA, you know, all these, all these things that everybody's always like, Oh my gosh. Like I would have none of that, none of that without this sport. This sport has given me my friends. This sport has given me memories with my family. It's brought me closer, brought me closer to my family over the years. Um, it's now given me my career. It's given me my education, like in a weird way, it's, it's given me my, my relationship. Like it's everything has come from the sport. And so I think really my job is, you know, yes, running all the girls hockey stuff, but also getting out in the community and telling people like, you may not think of hockey as something that you'd be interested in, but let me tell you why you probably have more, uh, in common with hockey fans and with the hockey community than you think. Um, so that's really kind of what, what I'm here and, and trying to do with this new position. Um, and, and I think this, you know, this whole external or public affairs department as a whole is trying to do. And I, my sense from the Coyote ownership group now is really the sky's the limit. And it's definitely taken a grassroots approach to saying our business model, or at least this is what it seems to me. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but the business model is finally where it needs to be in that the business model is we're going to get kids in the state playing hockey and that's what's going to result in more Arizona Coyote fans, which is the right way to do it. We've seen Vegas do it with grassroots campaigns, you know, taking taking the van to Montana and Idaho and <laughs> running camps and making hockey players. Because to me, that's always been the best business model is once kids, you have to get into the hockey world first. It's not like baseball or football or basketball where it's always on television you can enjoy watching the sport without ever having play it. 
you know, the hockey world is almost, uh, there's an exclusivity to it to once you're in, it's what you love to do more than anything. And I, I've said it before, I grew up in Northeast Ohio where there wasn't a lot of hockey. There was hockey in Cleveland and Pittsburgh. I lived between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, but we skated outside. It was a giant football town. And um, I, I was probably, I was a better baseball player than a hockey player for sure. I played football on Friday nights in front of packed stadiums, but to me, hockey was the best. And once I started playing it, and it's what I want to do more than anything now. And that's why I still have co- coach. So um, I hope that's all true from the Coyotes perspective. And it seems like that's true. But um, again, I guess that's not a question in there because I, I don't want to put you on the spot. But is that something that you're seeing is kind of the organizational structure now of the Coyotes in your capacity? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, like the reality is when you're trying to build a sport in a non-traditional market for that sport, you have to invest and you have to invest for the long term. And um, I think you know, for a long time, the mentality here has, you know, been, yes, that, that would be ideal, but we need to just keep our heads above water now. And, you know, the new, this new ownership group is really here for, for the long run. They, um, they've communicated multiple times to our department, the importance of what we're doing and, um, how it, you know, it's not just a feel good thing. It is a legitimate part of the business strategy of this organization. And, um, I think that's something that uh, really motivates us, right? Because it it makes us feel um, like we're doing so much more than just getting kids into hockey. We're we're actually um, creating an impact on this organization that has done a lot of good, and we need it to stay here to continue to do a lot of good for these kids. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely shifted, and um, it's they're 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 looking at the twenty year plan, not the two year plan. So um, that's exciting. And I think we're going to see a lot of that reflected in the actions of the organization and um, specifically our, our hockey development department over the next um, couple of years. I agree. Um, I still say it's a when, not if. We have a mm-hmm. facility down here in Tucson. I, I would love to have uh, a Tucson branch of the Kachina someday. You and I have talked about that. Yeah. And so uh, let's... Uh, We'll, we'll wrap up here kind of the same way I wrap up with uh, almost all my guests is talking about a good youth hockey memory. So when I ask you the question, you know, think back about your time growing up playing hockey. What's a good memory or a good feeling that comes to mind when I ask the question? Oh, man. Um, Surprisingly hard hitting podcast here. We do. I, yeah, I try and do some goodness. real journalism here. I do remember, um, you know, and I think, I think the fact that I remember so little is like a reminder for parents that, you know, your kids are, you're not going to remember the wins, the losses, the plays you make, the goals you score. I mean, you're just, you're just not, you're going to remember the friendships you had and, you know, the times you got to run around Peter Piper with your friends. Um, but I think for me, one game that I do remember, I just, it was just a hardworking game. Um, I think it was a peewee or a Bantam. And I scored, I think, two or three goals. Like, it was just a game where, like, wow, I, like, I dominated the play. Um, and I remember after, this was on my boys' team, I remember after my coach, like, just gave me the biggest hug. And he goes, that's the best I've ever seen you play. And it was just, I don't know. Like, I just remember I'm a people pleaser. Um, I think, to your point, I've never heard that before. But, you know, give somebody uh, a, a role model that they don't want to let down. I think, um, for me, like, I, I just remember my coach telling me that they were so proud of me. And I think, um, I think as coaches, it's important to remember that, like, those are the things that really stick with kids and the opposite can stick with them too. If you, if you tell a kid that they, 
they suck and they're awful. Um, they're going to remember that too. (laughs) And, um, so yeah, that was, that was a really significant moment. I remember we were playing in California and that's about it, but I just, I remember the way it made me feel to have my coach, um, just be so proud of how hard I worked and how well I played. No. And I, I, I say it a lot too. Um, and I say it a lot for a specific reason because it's true. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm always very proud of the effort we have, and I'm very fortunate to have, uh, the group we have in Tucson. And I know, uh, you feel the same way and, you know, the, no matter who I ask, whether it's Zabinic McCulloch, I have a friend who coaches in the North American league. I, uh, talked to Alex Kinkoff, who's the beat writer for the Coyotes, who he and I are from, we're Northeast Ohio guys. Our brothers used to play together. It's, it's, it's those kind of memories that always stick out. It's, um, playing hallway soccer with your friends at a tournament when, people are coming out and threatening to call the cops and one team mom comes out and, you know, screams the guy stupid. Like that's one of my prevailing hockey memories was very soft spoken mom on the team coming out and threatening to drop kick this guy up and down the hallway if he doesn't (laughs) leave. So no, I, I, and I, and I think that is, that's the universality of hockey, no matter where you're at on the globe and something that really cultivates, um, players to be good people. And I, I know that's something that we always focus on and that's, I, I know it's a focus of your organization as well. So I, I'm glad we got to end on that memory and that's a good one. And <laughs> thank you again so much for taking the time. Uh, there's a lot going on, but hopefully we'll get to do this again here in the near future and we'll talk more. Maybe we'll, we'll talk some more X's and O's about the game. Then hopefully uh, we'll have you on again in the future. And so we'll wrap up episode 11 of the Tucson hockey podcast, Lindsay Fry. She is the Director of External Affairs and Female Hockey for the Arizona Coyotes. She's the president of the Arizona Kachinas, a Division I player at Harvard, a U.S. Olympian, as well as many other titles and accolades. Coach, thank you so much for joining us here today, and hopefully we'll get to do it again soon. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it, Ryan. All right. That is episode 11 of the Tucson Hockey Podcast. Hopefully we didn't get the audio cut out and everyone got to hear this so we don't have to do it again, but... We will we'll give one more shout out to our sponsor, Altitude Home Loans and Danny Platner. Visit dannyplatner.com. Altitude Home Loans is an equal housing lender. All right. Tucson Hockey Podcast Episode 11 is done, and we will see you all next time.